Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez alongside my co-host tonight, Tyler Burton. We've got a loaded show for you this evening. Softball just fresh off their route of the UCLA Bruins in run rule fashion. We're going to discuss that. We're going to talk a little bit about how the baseball program is off to a little bit of a rocky start and how Sooner fans should really feel about this program uh, just a few weeks into the season. Of course, we're going to talk football and we've got some uh, some good SEC expansion topic to get into there. No better time to talk about realignment than the offseason. And then, of course, we'll round it out with everything that's going on with basketball as those teams approach March Ugh. here. But before we jump in, Tyler, I, I don't want to get you off on a bad foot talking about basketball, but how are you today? I'm doing good. We're going to say basketball all the way for the end, prolong this as long as humanly possible, Adam. But yeah, things are good. Uh, kind of feels like it's been a while since we've had a had a podcast together. You went solo uh, last week, um, getting it done before your trip down to Florida. Hope that was good, getting to spend some time with the family. But yeah, excited about it, man. Uh, and of course, do want to start the show by, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to everybody in the state of Oklahoma dealing with the aftermath of that severe weather on Sunday night. Uh, thankfully for you, Adam, your new, uh, new house up in Gloria. Looks like it was okay. You were safe from the storm, but uh, 15 tornadoes total across the state on Sunday night. We've all seen the damage in Norman, so we hope everybody's okay. Uh, we're thinking about you guys, but yeah, man, um, fantastic weekend for OU softball. The program was not dead despite the the uh, surprise loss to Baylor uh, a week ago. Yeah, Oklahoma, you know, goes out to California, bounces back. Uh, in a big-time fashion, there is no question, Adam, who the number one team in the country is after this past weekend. Huge bounce back uh, after the loss to Baylor. It was a true statement win. I think a lot of people, the the hype and the suspense, you know, leading up to number one versus number two, who's better, OU, UCLA, you know, these are the two titans of the sport right now in collegiate softball. And I think that many people, I think that many people, I know that UCLA has been playing really well so far to start the season. They've got some freshmen that have been kind of outperforming themselves, playing a little bit over their head. They've got the veteran pitching uh, with with what Oklahoma saw. But I mean, Adam, did anybody really expect fourteen to nothing? Just an, a complete ass kicking of the Bruins by Patty Gasso's squad. It was fantastic, and we've seen a lot of really, really good performances. And it kind of feels like Oklahoma softball. Over the last five or six years, they just continue to find a, more and more ways to just show how dominant they are in this sport. And it was a lot of fun to watch what they did this past weekend out in California. Yeah, it was really special to see just the potential of what this team can be. And I wouldn't expect them to hold that you know performance throughout the rest of the regular season because they're, mm-hmm. they're going to play some teams that really just aren't going to hold their focus. And I don't blame them for that. But UCLA is one of those teams that does get you up out of the bed in the morning, ready to, mm-hmm. you know, lay the, the wood on them with that 14-0 run rule victory. And um, it was really special to see that because you saw the return of not of Kinsey Hansen. She really announced mm-hmm. her her presence there at the plate several times on Sunday. And um, and then the, the defense was spectacular as well. Alex Taraco, the first, I think, opportunity where we saw her really say, hey, she can win you know that that game three of a of a college world series uh in softball um she's got the stuff just like we've already seen from jordy ball and like we've seen from nicole may so far early this year so um it was cool to see that all come together against a team that everyone seems pretty consensus on as the second best team in the country and oh you had no problem with them yeah oklahoma's lineup on saturday 14 runs six home runs 20 hits i mean just a, an absolute dominant performance one through nine for patty gasso squad and you know kind of a huge shout out you know a lot of a lot of the attention 
is focused on on Patty and rightfully so. You know, best collegiate softball coach in America by far and away. Uh, but just talking about what JT Gasso has done with this lineup and the consistent successes he's able to get out of this lineup and the bats year in and year out. And, um, you know, the pitching staff it has been dominant. And that kind of leads me into, you know, the Alex Taraco thing, Adam. I think that as good as Oklahoma's lineups were, putting up 14 runs against UCLA, you know, that that is – that is outstanding. There's probably not another team in America that's going to do that to the Bruins all year long. But the biggest biggest storyline for me coming out of this game was the performance of Alex Taraco. Complete game shutout, three hits, five struck, strikeouts, zero runs given up. And Adam, just looking at her stats, 4-0 and so far this year in the circle with an ERA of 0.34. I mean, that's just stupid good. And, you know, it, it just... Jordy Ball, as good as she has been, it kind of feels like she's a little bit off. She's still continuing to find herself, and that, that's that's a really good thing when you look at the depth that this pitching staff has. When Jordy Ball, as good as she is, okay, we're not going to throw her against UCLA. Okay, we're not going to throw Nicole May, who's been there in all the big-time scenarios. She's pitched in the Women's College World Series. She's won national titles. We're going to throw Alex Starocco out there, and she's going to you know give up a – uh, three hits and a complete game shutout against the uh, the the at the time number one team in the country. So it, it was just fantastic to watch, Adam. I I want to know who the one person was that in the updated uh, college softball rankings actually gave UCLA a first place vote. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people would like to know, but yeah, just just fantastic, Adam. The, the, this softball team they just continue to find ways uh, to surprise us on how dominant they are as a program. Yeah, and I. I do think what you're saying is spot on. The performance by Alex Taraco is just as impressive as putting up 14 runs uh, against that Bruins team because mm-hmm. three hits up given up to a team uh, in UCLA who is a lot like OU. They're run ruling a bunch of teams. They're one of the best offensive programs out there, and and OU blanks them. Uh, you know that's mm-hmm. Taraco and an incredible defense behind her. Um, and, and you look at this team ERA right now. Um, last year, number one overall in the country by quite a wide margin so far this year, you know, still early about 25% of the season's already over, which is kind of crazy to think about, but yeah, OU number four in the country in ERA team ERA 1.12. And I think that's probably a little bit higher than it should be just because Jordy ball is not quite, you know, back to her normal form. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, look at, look at what this team has, even if Jordy ball never returns to her form for the rest of the season, which I, I don't think, or don't expect that to happen whatsoever, but you've got Nicole May, you know, what Alex Taraco can do in a big time environment against a big time team. And man, it's like, man, this, who's going to, who's going to score on these Sooners when this team is on, when they have their focus, uh, cause that's when they play their best is when the, the lights are brightest. Well, and I think that we say this every single year. I mean, for the better part of the last decade, when talking about Oklahoma softball, when you look at this pitching staff, you know, one through four, and then you look at this lineup, what what this team is able to do from top to bottom, there's not a team out there, in my opinion, right now that can beat this team two games out of three. You might get a Baylor type performance where they play, you know, they get a they get a really good performance from their pitching, some timely hitting, and Oklahoma just has an off day at the plate, but. In my opinion, when when the team that Oklahoma is playing against, when they've got OU's full attention, and when Patty Gasso has got this squad motivated, I apologize, Squeaker Toy in the in the background, but when Patty's got this team motivated and they're up for whoever that they're going to be playing, when Oklahoma's got their A game, there's not another team in college softball that can touch OU 
And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch how this team, you know, each team is different, Adam. And Patty Gasso, there's not a better motivator. There's not a better coach. There's not a better leader, uh, you know, of, of women in the sport of college softball. It's going to be fun to watch how this team matures and grows as the season goes on because, you know, they heard it all last week after the loss to Baylor. You know, you're clearly Oklahoma has taken a step back. Jocelyn Allo's not there anymore. UCLA is the clear number one team in the country. And we kind of found out real quick, Adam, that there's still levels to this game, and Oklahoma is, you know, sitting atop the mountain uh, of college softball. And until somebody knocks off OU, uh, or, or you know, unless Oklahoma loses a couple series, then nobody deserves to to have that number one spot over them until they take it from them. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, Adam. Like I said, OU makes their home debut this weekend at Marina Hines Field with double headers on both Friday and Saturday. And then, Adam, something that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, the Big 12. kind of feel like we've said this uh, about every single sport for the, for the last calendar year. The Big 12 is going to be an absolute juggernaut this year in, in collegiate softball. And Oklahoma's got some tough matchups once we get into conference play. You've got the three-game series at home against Texas uh, with the Friday night game being up at Hall of Fame Stadium in Oklahoma City. That's going to be uh, packed. Hopefully you get a chance to make it out there. And then you've got to kind of finish the year, Adam, Three-game series on the road in Waco against Baylor, a team that's already got Oklahoma's number this year. Then, to close out the regular season, you've got Bedlam and Stillwater against the number three team in the country right now, the Cowgirls. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, OSU, that program that, uh, was it, Kenny Gaiespi? Is that is that his name? Or so on so forth. yeah. Gaiespi, <laughs> what he's done up there, the, the softball in the state of Oklahoma, is second to none. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch this team progress as the year goes on. Yeah, Big 12's tough this year. Oklahoma State probably their best, you know, chance at doing some some real damage in the College mm-hmm. World Series that they've ever had and they've been really solid the last several years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Baylor looks like they're back. Um, they took a couple of years where they weren't nearly what they used to be. Um, traditionally, OU and Baylor were the top two programs in the Big 12. Um, yeah. you know, probably 4 or 5 years ago and, and they took some time off and now it looks like they're back. Texas is always solid. Um, I do got to point out, I, we didn't get a chance to talk about this a few weeks ago, but I think it was maybe the opening weekend of the year, uh, Texas had a game against Kentucky, who's actually OU's opponent this weekend, one of OU's opponents this weekend at home, yep. a really good program in Kentucky, top 25. Uh, but Texas actually played Kentucky, and uh, Texas's coach, remember the guy that, that gave the finger to the umpire last, oh, yeah. last spring? Oh, yeah. yeah he's, he's a character. He actually had a, a Sunday game against Ken, uh, Kentucky, there was a you know a drop dead time when Kentucky needed to get back, or I guess both teams probably need to get to travel at that point. And uh, basically, he stalled the entire game to a tie just so that uh, it wouldn't finish the inning, and Kentucky mm-hmm. would have won that game seven to four. Ended up in a four four tie because of his stall tactics. So I mm-hmm. uh, got a little sleazy guy down there in Austin to deal with, and that'll be uh, certainly tough. But uh, Got to love what this Sooner team has shown you this past weekend after a little bit of a bumpy start, um, but I think they're certainly headed in the right direction. Well, and speaking of bumpy starts, Adam, let's go across the street over to Eldale Mitchell Park, talk about some OU baseball, uh, Skip Johnson's bump uh, group this year. Baseball's kind of off to a shaky start so far this year, Adam, 4-4 four and four on the season. How should fans feel about this team through, through the first two weekends of the year? Yes, I've I learned a lot last year um, as a baseball fan, just watching last year's team get off to a start that was kind of similar, very bumpy. Mm-hmm. Even going into March, it was kind of like, man, this team's just not unlocking their potential. Um, but I think I think this this program right now, there's so many new pieces. 
trying to fit together here. And I think there's going to be some tinkering in the lineup, both offensively and defensively. Uh, the skip's going to have to figure out here and, and get his guys playing with the best lineup, the best group of guys together. And then everyone kind of hit their stride at the same time. So I'm not super worried about, you know, the 500 record right now, four and four through two weekends. Yeah, I would definitely like to have a little bit more optimism there. And I think we got that at the end of this past weekend series against Ryder where OU in their own right in baseball run rules a team to, to finish off the series there. Um, but I think the main thing is just consistency because some games you have you know solid enough pitching and the hitting's not coming along uh, and sometimes vice versa. So some more consistency across the board I think will be really great. You did see some really good things, though, from this past weekend. Uh, earlier in the season, it was mainly the, the newer guys that were actually contributing the most. Uh, Anthony McKenzie, a guy who looks like an absolute hit uh, in the recruiting ranks there. He's started off the year hitting 585, uh, absolute stud on offense. Dakota Harris uh, hitting 313 so far. He's been incredible at the plate and looking making a lot of defensive plays look super easy uh, at shortstop there. So. You've got some newcomers that are really contributing there. Uh, even Caden Powell, uh, the freshman from Clinton, Oklahoma, he made his debut Sunday, had a pair of RBIs. So you got some new guys that are contributing, and it was the Kendall Pettises, the John Spikermans, uh, the, the Jackson Nicholas, who really weren't contributing very much from the plate. And we saw what all those guys did in last year's run to Omaha. And so it's taking a little bit you know, for those guys to, to catch up to speed here. Um, but I think we're starting to see some of that round into form. Jackson Nicholas uh, hitting a home run on mm -hmm. Sunday, hitting a triple on Sunday. So once you start getting those guys contributing along with what we've seen from the new guys so far, I think you're going to have a pretty lethal offense and be able to run that brand of chaos baseball that OU wants mm -hmm. to do and get guys on bases and, and just create those chaos from stolen bases and so on and so forth. So combination of that. And then I think the wild card there is Bryce Madron. He's the guy that we talked a lot about uh, in our baseball preview a few weeks back uh, playing there in, uh, in right field. And he hasn't had much success hitting the ball just yet, but has 15 walks. So he's finding a way to get on base. But if he can get that bat swing in the right way and make solid contact, I think this this lineup becomes really, really solid. But again, it's all about consistency. You need to, you need to be able to play complementary baseball yes. and have some success early in the season so that you don't get too far down the line. Your RPI is too low and you have to make up a ton of ground against uh, some really tough teams in the Big 12. Yeah, it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. And hopefully Oklahoma can use, you know, the, the series win over Ryder from this past weekend as a way to, you know, kind of get on a little bit of a run here, generate some momentum. Adam, what's coming up next for uh, Skip Johnson's crew? What do they got to look forward to this weekend? Yeah, heading down to uh, Frisco this weekend. Got a midweek game against UT Arlington. That'll be Wednesday night. So I realize some people might be uh, listening to this after that's already occurred. Uh, but uh, the Frisco College Baseball Classic happens this weekend. So that's down at Dr. Pepper Ballpark, uh, where the Frisco Rough Riders typically play. Now, there's some name teams there, at least from a college football perspective. Ohio State's going to be there. Mississippi State is going to be there. Cal's going to be there. Uh, you know, Cal actually comes in with the best record out of any of these teams. Ohio State's not not really a good baseball program. Mississippi State missed the tournament last year, even though they're traditionally a, a very good program and uh, has a, a you know a well followed baseball uh, team there. But um, Cal's got the best record so far. We'll see what that really means. But this is certainly an opportunity for OU to kind of say, okay, now we have that you know those kind of get right games on Saturday and Sunday against Ryder last weekend, and now this is the opportunity to. Uh, go in and say, let's get some wins, you know, against some name programs, not some smaller conferences or anything like that. And regardless of whether Ohio State or Cal or even Mississippi State is really all that good, um, let's let's you know put some some quality names out there that people might 
you know, find some value in. So, um, mm-hmm. I think it's certainly a, a big opportunity for this team to start rounding into form as we get into some tougher games. We got Stanford coming up on the schedule. Uh, we'll have you know Big Twelve conference play. There's some teams that are are looking pretty solid. Texas Tech, TCU, mm-hmm. Oklahoma State had two no hitters last weekend. Um, they weren't as you know successful at the plate themselves, but uh, some big programs and some big games coming up. For sure. For sure. Do we want to touch on football just a little bit? Just kind of talk a little bit of SEC expansion news, some talking points that are out there right now. Not too much on the OU front, but uh, there is some uh, There's some kind of pretty interesting stuff regarding a couple of ACC schools. Yeah, definitely. And it's something that affects OU as we head to the SEC in 2024. Uh, kind of the biggest way, or I guess, thing that spurred this conversation was Michael Alford, uh, the athletic director down at Florida State, having that meeting. Um, it's kind of interesting. It's all on video if you want to look it up. Um, find an article out there that has the video from the meeting. Uh, but basically, it's just him saying, hey, we have to do something here at Florida State. We're $30 million behind all of our, our counterparts in the SEC and the Big Ten. And it was a very public, I think, very well thought out you know, statement and meeting that in the, uh, I guess it was the board of trustees that he was speaking to there at Florida mm-hmm. State. But basically saying, hey, we can't stay in the ACC the way it is. Yeah. And something needs to change there. And it's an interesting scenario because Michael Alford, he's a guy that was working inside the athletic department at OU, I believe, back mm-hmm. in the early 2010s, which was yep. exactly around the time when several teams left the Big 12 and the revenue sharing distributions <clears throat> changed quite a bit with third tier rights. So he's yeah. no stranger to that scenario. Well, it's no secret that the higher ups at Florida and Clemson, you know, they're not happy with the current state of things across the landscape of college football right now. The people down in Tallahassee, especially, kind of feels like Adam, they're worried about the growing disparity uh, in the conference revenue with the SEC picking up OU in Texas, with the Big Ten, you know, pulling, uh, you know, from the West Coast, USC and UCLA. I think they're starting to kind of see the writing on the wall that the ACC could possibly, I think, be on the verge of ending up like the Pac 12 in the Big 12, or it's a little bit less relevant because you know both of those conferences just lost you know their two biggest brands to the the competing other conferences as well so if you're Florida State if you're Clemson how can you not start the process of at least kicking the tires on possibly leaving the the ACC because we all know with the way that this sport is going right now it's all about it, it feels like money is kind of like everything else it's the focal point it's the driving force uh you know in the sport of college football right now with nil with conference expansion with basically you know conference blow up at this point right now kind of feels like we're just slowly creeping uh you know closer and closer uh to, to the point where you've got basically you know a couple of super conferences in a sense where it's going to be the eight, you're either going to be in the sec or you're going to be in the big 10 everything else is you know somewhat irrelevant yeah, which kind of brings up the interesting discussion as an OU fan and a program that's going to be new to the SEC next year. Yeah, How do we as o- Oklahoma fans feel about adding Florida State and Clemson? Because that would put the SEC at 18 teams. Yeah, It really moves away from the proposed scheduling model where you're going to get every single SEC team on your schedule um, you know, every other year. So mm-hmm. within a four-year span, you'll get it Alabama at home and, and once on the road, uh, for example, yeah. there. With 18 teams, that throws a huge wrench in it, and you kind of get more into maybe two separate conferences that meet uh, for a mm-hmm. conference championship later on, later down the line. How do you feel as an OU fan about adding those two programs? I think with the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams, I love it. Give me all the best programs playing each other week in and week out. You know, Adam, I think for a fan, 
uh, for guys like us, Adam, that eat and breathe all things college football 24-7, 365. I think that this is pretty much all but a dream scenario for the diehards like us because the game day experience all season long is just going to be absolutely incredible. When you talk about, you know, the the places that Oklahoma is going to be traveling to, to to take on opponents, you know, the 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 travel, the the atmosphere that OU fans are going to be able to go on the road with their team and experience for the very first time. But then okay, by the way, also, you're going to have the likes of Alabama, Georgia, Florida State, possibly Clemson. All of those teams are going to be in, you know, rotation coming to Norman, uh, you know, every every few years. So, I think for a fan, I think that it, it makes all the sense in the world. I think it's great. The the product on the field is going to be fantastic. The experience, uh, you know, from from the fans is going to be second to none. From a big picture standpoint, though, Adam, and I'll throw this back over to you. Does adding Florida State and Clemson make sense if you're Greg Greg Sankey? You already have a kind of you know the SEC already has a tight grip on that region or, or that part of the country. You've got the Gators in Florida. You've got the Gamecocks in South Carolina, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee. You know LSU, even Oklahoma. Throw them into the mix as well. They all recruit the hell out of that part of the country. So you're not really gaining anything, I don't think, from a viewership standpoint because you've already got it. You've already got you know a strong footprint in that market in that part of the country, but. I guess the biggest draw, Adam, and could be the fact that you're you're adding two of the biggest brands in college football, Florida State historically, and Clemson more recently with what they've they've done with Dabo Sweeney, adding those two to the SEC, I think it would be unbelievable. I I'm I'm a little bit torn on this and I You're not sold. No, I'm not. We asked Twitter, and I'm not the only one either, because uh, <laughs> on our, our Twitter we uh, we made a poll this morning at the mainline pod. You know, do you want both those programs in SEC? And it was split. About two thirds said yes, a third said no. It was a lot more than I thought. Actually, I thought maybe I might be in the major or minority there of saying no. And I, I don't know if I'm a complete no. I think I'm more of like a let's wait and see type of mode there. Um, I'd, I'd like to see what OU feels like in the SEC, what they, you know, what that looks like. Um, the more you add a Florida State and the more you add a Clemson to the conference, I think that really. As a, as a general college football fan, it takes away meaningful games. And the ACC games are are somewhat interesting right now. They're not as meaningful as SEC, Big 12, Big 10 games, so to speak. Um, but you take FSU and Clemson out of that, and those games become even less meaningful. So there's even fewer college football games of, of interest. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that's great for college football necessarily. I think it's it's fun to have Florida State come to Norman. It's fun to have a trip a trip out to Clemson as an OU fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but bigger picture, are we are we you know trading you know a, a, a you know hundred dollars today for a dollar tomorrow so to speak? And so I, I do wonder about that. And I, I kind of wonder like you know Florida State and Clemson. I don't think they're going anywhere. I don't think the Big Ten is necessarily going to grab them. I think they're they're making a push to the West. So why not wait and see a couple of years and, and see what happens, see mm-hmm. what it looks like to get out of that, that contract, that Albatross contract that all the ACC teams have through 2036 right now and, and see what happens. See where you, whether you even want those teams, maybe you need to go in a different direction. Yeah. I definitely think that, you know, it kind of feels like the, the SEC and the big 10, you know, they're, they're kind of trading blows back and forth. Uh, SEC picks up OU Texas, big 10 counters picking up USC and UCLA. So it's going to be interesting to see what these two conferences do moving forward, because it kind of feels like, you know, the, the next program, you know, the next domino to fall, you know, in big 10 country right now is going to be Notre Dame. You know, does Notre Dame decide that they want to remove the independent status from that program? Do they want to join, 
uh, you know, the, the Big Ten Conference, then I think that you, you could possibly see the the uh, SEC, you know, continue to get a little bit, bit a little bit bigger. You know, Florida State's, the Clemson's, possibly Miami. That's a big brand as well. You know, people don't care near as much about college football uh, down uh, in Coral Gables, but it's still the brand. It's still the U. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see how college football continues to change because, you know, Adam, when we started this podcast three years ago, I don't think any of us could have foreseen the changes as we sit here on February 28, 2023, what the landscape of college football looks like right now, uh, just three short years later. But it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, I just can't wait. I just can't wait for the season to get here. Spring football is kicking off here in just a couple more weeks. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch uh, as Oklahoma uh, begins their quest in their final year in the Big 12 Conference. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Before we move to a different sport, is there any other programs that you think the SEC could or should target maybe in addition to or outside of Florida State and Clemson? I just don't think at this point right now, there's not really two bigger programs from, you know, from a revenue generating standpoint, from a success standpoint, from a brand uh, standpoint. I really don't see who else out there uh, the SEC would be able to add that would be as intriguing or as valuable uh, as getting the Knowles uh, and the Tigers. For me, Clemson is one that I, I think we have to take our recency bias away from and Fair for, point. for a moment Good just point. realize that, hey, they're they're really just South Carolina in a, in a way because they have an 80,000-seat stadium. That's what South Carolina has. They have a rabid fan base. Clemson averages, you know, a few more wins per year in the grand scheme of, you know, the last 70 years or so. It's just the last 10 years, maybe even less than that, the Dabo Sweeney's got them going pretty well. And who knows yeah. if that's going to continue. People are, are writing their articles about the demise of Clemson right now. Uh, so I, I just wonder if like that really adds a whole lot because still, even though how rabid Clemson's fan base is, they're still really small. They still get small ratings on TV. So I kind of wonder if maybe you go even a little bit further north than Clemson. Maybe you add Florida State and UNC, for example. Not a big football fan base, but having UNC, Kentucky, and basketball every year would be insane for the SEC. That'd be fun for OU fans to have have them come to to Norman and play in our awful uh, you know arena in the Lloyd Noble Center. But that might add a little something, and I think it. It, it it meets the the difference there between where the Big Ten's recruiting ground kind of ends in that DMV area and kind of expands the SECs up further north mm-hmm. and says, hey, this is our territory now. This is SEC country. We're locking yeah. this down. You're not getting the Carolinas, Big Ten. And, and instead of leaving that gap, you know, between Clemson, South Carolina, and then Maryland, you know, uh, uh, College Park, Maryland. Yeah, and I know that college football is king right now uh, in, in collegiate athletics. I mean, that's that's the sport. That's the one that drives the ship. But I th- also think it's at this point, too, I think it's probably a little bit naive to say that football would be the sole reason why a conference would choose to take on a certain program. I mean, from when you look at Clemson and you look at Florida State, you know, when Greg Sankey's sitting down there, you know, with all the top dogs in the SEC, when they're talking about, you know, are those two programs a good fit, you know, for what we want to do in the SEC? Sure, you've got you've got Clemson football. But if we're being honest, what really – is there anything else about Clemson University 
from an athletic department standpoint that is consistently competitive on a year in and year out basis? Is it basketball? Is it baseball? Really, there's nothing that comes to mind. You talk about Florida State. Yes, you've got the the you know the blue blood program that is the Florida State Seminoles, but they've also they're a good ba- they're a good baseball program. They're a really good softball program as well. Florida State basketball year in and year out. You know, middle upper part of, upper echelon of the ACC. I think that those two teams make all the sense in the world. And if you look at North Carolina, you're I don't think that football has would have very much to do with with the uh, you know the true reason why we're going to be bringing in uh, the Tar Heels. It's all going to be focused on baseball. It's all going to be focused, of course, on North Carolina basketball. But just in terms of right now, I think that Clemson and Florida State, if you're the SEC, outside of potentially Miami, which Miami's got their own problems right now, I think that Clemson and Florida State. Uh, are you know one A and one B as as teams that you could potentially look to add to this conference as we move forward? It's something that I think just got reported in the last couple of years or so. But UNC was actually the SEC's first call back when they added A and M and needed a an extra team there to make it fourteen. UNC said no, and Missouri was the backup option there. And Missouri brings pretty much nothing. Um, it was really just right time, right place in regards to how realignment took place back then and, and adding cable television households. And now all that's changed. So I think if the SEC could have that decision back, they certainly would. And I think UNC yeah. would change their mind too, knowing about the revenue differences. We did also get one more kind of small little tidbit of news today regarding the SEC scheduling, you know, starting in the year 2024 with OU Texas joining the conference. It kind of feels like we were close to potentially getting the format uh, of what the schedule is going to look like, but we did get a little bit of a uh, breaking news earlier today. Uh, with regards to you know the two Texas programs with Texas and Texas A and M, if it's a nine game schedule, then you're going to be looking at you know potentially Texas and A and M playing every single year. If they choose to go the eight team route and they want to give uh, you know the SEC teams the the traditional cupcake you know before the last regular uh, you know week of the regular season, then you might be looking at a situation where it might be you know. OU Texas A&M every four years. It might be Texas versus Texas A&M every two to three years. So I hope that uh, as we move a little bit closer, you know, as we go through spring football, we would hope that the overall outline and the format of what this scheduling for this new conference is going to look like. Um, just ultimately, Adam, so I can start planning some uh, some trips. Yeah, I think last year the SEC released their schedule in November timeframe. So definitely a lot better. I to- hope not. <laughs> you don't want it that early. Oh, I'd bring. I'd. I'd love to have it in April. Just you don't have to give us the schedule, but just kind of give us the layout. You know, is it going to be a pod? Permanent opponents. Is it going to be you know two two divisions with nine teams? I don't know. Okay, I I I see. I see what you're saying there. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think it'd be something exciting. Do we have to talk basketball? Well, let's start with things are going at least semi well. How about women's basketball here? Not the performance that the ladies wanted uh, this past no. Saturday in the Lloyd Noble Center. Draw rec- drew a record crowd. Uh, love it. Mm-hmm. Glad that Sooner fans were able to turn out in the way that uh, Jenny Baranchek and those those girls deserve. You know, three seniors on this team that have been absolutely incredible bookends uh, for this program, just holding everything up and, and making a major turnaround. Um, Maddie Williams, Taylor Robertson, Ana Yunusa. Um, disappointing that they couldn't get you know a bigger bigger win in that moment with that type of crowd yeah. there, but. Um, I'm hopeful that that fans turn out again. Uh, I guess uh, tomorrow night is senior night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't can't recall if Saturday's er, Saturday's game is back here at the Lloyd Noble. I think it's on the road, um, but hopefully they get a great crowd for senior night to honor what those players have been through. Uh, some of the worst seasons in OU uh, basketball of recent memory, mm-hmm. and then some of this uh, better ones here in the turnaround. 
Well, and Adam, I think that what you just said is kind of a perfect representation um, of the, you know, the the transition that this basketball program has made. Has made. You talk about the three seniors, you know, Taylor, Anna, and Maddie. You know, they went from, you know, their when they first started, you know, donning the crimson and cream, playing basketball at the Lloyd Noble Center. They were playing in front of crowds of, you know, four or five hundred to maybe a thousand people. And now, with what they've done over the, you know, the course of their careers, with Jenny Baranchek now being in year two, here they are, you know, coming down to the final stretch of their career in an Oklahoma uniform, they're playing in front of 10,000 plus, you know, not too often, Adam, I don't think I've ever been to a women's basketball game in Norman where we saw, you know, uh, you know, five digit attendance uh, number. So just a fantastic way um, to, to kind of close out the regular season. This team is playing extremely well right now, still have the possibility of earning the number one overall seed in the big 12 conference up in Kansas city. Um, You did, you know, kind of want to, you know, have a better performance against Texas, but Texas, you know, with the lineup that they trot out, with you know, kind of the 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 game plan that they they pose, it's it's kind of a tough uh, it's it's a tough ask, especially on the defensive end uh, for Oklahoma to try to guard the the Longhorns. But still, uh, tied for the uh, you know first place in the Big Twelve, it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch what this team can do as they head into postseason play. I really don't have anything else to add on that, Adam. We can just kind of transition into the men's basketball team. Not gonna lie, we talked about this before we hit record. Kind of forgot they were still playing. Haven't really followed it at all. It just, I mean, there's there's not two bigger OU fans, two guys that follow you know OU athletics closer than the two of us, and it's just gotten so bad to the point where I looked up on Saturday, I got a notification on my phone, and finding out from ESPN that Oklahoma beat Iowa State was how I knew that OU even had a game that day against Iowa State. So just kind of speaks on the status of this program right now. Um, I'm just ready for it to be done. And you've got NIT on here. I'll let you lead off with that. <laughs> yeah. So OU sitting at 14 and 15 right now, two games left in the regular season, plus at least one game in the big 12 uh, tournament up in Kansas city. And the question that I'm posing is basically you have to be at 500 or better to be in the NIT. I believe better than 500. So, um, do the math there on, on what you need to do the rest of the way to have a chance of getting an invite. It certainly would be something that I think the NIT would want OU. It's a big fan base, even if we're not super engaged, not really interested in watching this team, but um, that's a, that's a name to advertise for TV. So um, do we even really want this team to make the NIT? No. And for here, here's two reasons why I do not want to see the NIT logo on the pressed onto the floor at the Lloyd Noble center for, for OU basketball, but number two as well, What's the biggest problem right now with this with this basketball team in, in Norman? It's the it's kind of the lack of talent by comparison to the other programs in the Big Twelve Conference. So I do not want to see this season get get dragged on for another month. I do not want to see this team competing in the NIT for you know a meaningless trophy at the end of the stretch. Porter Mosier's biggest the, the biggest thing that Porter Mosier is going to have to do this offseason is recruiting is getting into the transfer portal, bringing in a difference maker that can play either the four or the five position, something that Oklahoma has not had since the Ryan Spangler days, and he wasn't even a true post. But when you watch this team, when we've had to bear the responsibility of watching this team play basketball all all season long, watching the Groves brothers play down low against this competition in the Big 12 Conference, it is a, natu- it is a matchup nightmare for Oklahoma night in and night out every time that this team takes the floor. So you've got to go out there. You've got to get in the transfer portal. You've got to bring in somebody that can come in and, you know, kind of be that building block 
you know, for, you know, no pun intended, be that, you know, that structure, that focal point down there in the paint uh, that Oklahoma can then use the talent that they've got, you know, on the roster right now, but also that good young group of talent that they've got coming in in this, uh, this recruiting class with the guard play that OU is going to be bringing in, figure out a way to go out there and get a center figure out a way to go out there and bring somebody in that can help transform this team. Because if, if, if Oklahoma does not bring in a center next year, that's any better than, than the Groves brothers, Porter Mosier end of the year, we don't make the, uh, the March Madness tournament, get rid of him. You have to recruit. You have to go bring in a true center that can be a difference maker down low. I, I agree with you in the fact that I don't want to watch more games of this team. I don't want to watch the NIT. Uh, maybe OU would be on the road. Maybe you don't have to have that logo on the court at the Lloyd Noble Center if the women's team can do a little bit better and maybe host uh, you know some NCAA tournament games in Norman. But So, so I'm in agreement. I don't want to watch this team anymore, but I'm going to disagree with you in that I do want them to go to the NIT for this reason. And we talked about it last year when, when OU made the NIT. Two years in a row, NIT. How cool would that be? Um, oh, how but, the mighty have fallen. <laughs> but we talked about it last year where we said, hey, this is an opportunity for younger guys like Bijan and CJ Nolan uh, to go out there and, and maybe grow their role a little bit. Oh, you mm-hmm. didn't do that. They they went out and absolutely you know dropped a game to St. Bonaventure's, which they had no business doing. I don't care how good you know athletes are on that team. Oh, you just shouldn't be losing those types of games at home. So... Um, yeah, that's my hope, I guess, is that, hey, maybe you go to the NIT, maybe Milo Suzon goes off for 35 points in a game. That gives you hope for next year. Maybe, um, you know, Tanner Groves goes out and he drops 30 on a team. And now Porter Moser has something to point at, you know, from a recruiting perspective and say, hey, when, you know, you are better than Tanner Groves, here's how we want you to play. This is the example, not the, oh, here's where he went four points and nine rebounds, you know, every Big 12 game <laughs> over the past year. So, there's some aspects there. Maybe it could get some younger guys engaged. Maybe you get more playing time for some of those guys like um, Otega Owe, and maybe he has more experience going into next year and you have you know, some hope built up for the fan base, for the program versus just going out with a whimper uh, the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think maybe the NIT might be something that could be good for this program, even though it's a dirty taste in my mouth just saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I like I said, we we might differ on whether or not we want this team to play in the NIT. I get it from a you know a, a game rep standpoint, getting some of your younger guys you know more playing time, a little bit more experience. But I think at this point right now, I think that Oklahoma has more to gain by just ending the season after the first game in the Big Twelve tournament. You know, start the process of cycling through your roster. You know, get rid of some of the the dead weight. Uh, and then get this coaching staff out there. One, hire an assistant coach uh, to replace what we lost, you know, during the offseason this past year. But go out there and start recruiting. Go out there and try to bring in one or two key pieces that can be difference makers for this basketball program. Because, you know, even though next year is going to be our final season in the Big 12 Conference, from an athleticism standpoint, you look at some what the the product on the court is in the SEC in basketball. Oklahoma is uh, is still pretty far behind in that from that standpoint. So. Uh, figure out a way to get out there and recruit and let's see if we can turn this thing around. I'm going to have to disagree with you. We beat the SEC's best team this year and that dead weight that you were talking about led us in points against Iowa State. So I think all of OU OU's pumped are probably solved right there. Uh, yeah, yeah. We uh, <laughs> we killed them. So not, not yeah. the only time. Yeah, that's we'll hang true. our hat on that. Just like we did in football about 10 years ago, we said we beat Bama and, and yeah. lived off of that for a few years. So yep. Trevor Knight um, still is. 
<laughs> gun to your head right now, not knowing what Porter Moser is able to recruit here in the off season. Do you think he makes it past year three? Because we don't know no. Grant Shirtfield returns. We don't know if Jalen Hill returns, the guy who has unlimited eligibility. We don't know if there's a better center prospect in the transfer portal. Like, we just don't know. But uh, Gun to my head right now, Porter Moser will not be the head coach of the OU men's basketball team in our first year in the SEC. I kind of think that too. It feels like a feels like a good breaking point. Don't um, want it to be because I yeah. I don't think that coaching is the the true reason why the team is as bad as it is right now. I think a lot of it has to do uh, with kind of the lack of talent at key positions on this roster. When you look at you know c- compared to to what the the other teams in this conference are trotting out every single game, but uh, if you're Porter Mosier, you at least have to, you have to fight like hell to go out there and at least show. Show your athletic director, show your fan base that you're at least trying to make some personnel changes. You're at least trying to do whatever it takes to bring in some better talent at that center position because, I mean, Oklahoma gets taken advantage of at that position every single night, and Porter Mosier's got to make some changes. Yeah, for sure. A little bit of a downer to uh, end the show on. a downer. I, it's just, <laughs> that's just kind of the current state of the, the men's basketball program right now. I mean – I just, I just simply don't know what else you do other than bring in better players. You know, at the end of the day, it's the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the O's. So we'll see what they do. Yeah. I'll give a little bit of a positive little teaser here. There is a new video in the works, a, uh, a little hype video for football season. Probably oh. going to be dropping. I'd give it two or three weeks. So make sure you're following us on YouTube by searching the Mainline Podcast. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at the Mainline Pod. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, wherever you listen to it, give us a five-star review. We definitely appreciate that. So uh, until next week, we'll see everyone then for another episode of the Mainline Podcast.